Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 176 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we talk with Katie Dubow of the Garden Media Group all about 2024 gardening trends. The plant profile is on collards, and we share what's going on in the garden as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with the last word on Crepe Murder by Craig McManus, host of the Garden Question podcast. This episode, we're joined by Katie Dubow of the Garden Media Group. She is a returning guest, and we are going to talk all about garden trends for 2024. Welcome back, Katie. Hey, Kathy. So good to be here. Great to have you back again. So we had you talk about 2022 and 2023 trends. And now, can you believe it's almost 2024? Can you believe we're already working on 25 too? So, man, never stop. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask for a little sneak preview on that maybe towards the end. (laughs) And so since it's been almost a year since we had you on, um, any new developments for your company or yourself personally? Ooh, um, well, we did hire. So, you know, if, if listeners remember in 2020, I bought the business from my mom. Um, this year in 2023, we celebrate 35 years in business. So wow. it's fun. Yep. And we hired three new team members. So we're a small but mighty team. There's 11 of us. So bringing on three new people this year was, you know, pretty big percentage of our staff. Um, so it was really fun for us. And one of them was from the horticulture industry, but two were not. So I also love, as I know you do too, I've met some of your interns, but you know, turning people to the the dark side of horticulture and introducing <laughs> them to this wonderful industry and, you know, it becoming a lifelong career. Oh, excellent. Yeah, it's always good to be growing, no pun intended. And uh, for those listeners who are not familiar at all with you, Katie, and Garden Media Group, let's give a really quick recap of what you do. Sure. So, um, as I said, we are celebrating 35 years this year and we do public relations for only clients and companies and brands and services within the garden industry. So when my friends ask me, I didn't know that plants needed PR, uh, I say, you know, basically what it comes down to is we make people popular. So if we have clients who want to be known or seen, you know, within the Maryland area, we can help them grow their brand or their presence there. If they want to be seen nationally, if they want to be seen um, and popular with homesteaders, you know, we can help them with that. So depending on who the right target market is, we help the, our clients get seen by their potential customers. Excellent. And who doesn't need a cheerleader? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in life. It's like, it's so hard to toot your own horn. It's always great to have somebody else there. Let's start talking a bit about prognostication and what goes behind that, um, and the research you all do. So how far in advance, and I think we already got a clue of that, that you're already starting to work on 2025, were you working on 2024? 
Yep. So, you know, our trends report comes out in July of the previous year. So the 2024 report was released this July at um, an industry trade show called Cultivate. And so we do that every year. That is pretty much our cycle. And then it comes out to consumers in in mid-September-ish. And so once we close it, it's done, it's put to bed, we don't change it. And so honestly, pretty much mid-September, when we're not making any more changes to that, we're still out there, you know, got our trends antenna on. And so we're putting things in our folders. We're collecting things. We're connecting the dots. We're talking to people when we go to various trade shows, um, when we see new products, when we go to consume the Philadelphia flower show is coming up, you know? So as we're out, out in the world, we do uh, these, these similar trend spotting things. And that starts in September. So we've like, you know, like we mentioned, I've already started collecting some data. Now, who knows, Kathy? That's the interesting thing is that once we start to put this together March-ish, um, mm-hmm. we throw that spaghetti at the wall. We see what other team members have come up with things. And, and we think, you know, we think about them. A lot of, a lot of trends fall to the cutting room floor. So um, in fact, in 2020, one of my favorite stories is that people were starting to become sober curious. So the drinking levels, particularly amongst young people, had drastically dropped, and we were seeing people stop drinking as much. And so we thought this would be really fun to talk about how people can make mocktails with herbs that they grow at home. We thought it would be the perfect trend until the pandemic hit. And boy, did drinking skyrocket. (laughs) (laughs) That trend went right out the window. Um, And so things change as we're doing our research, obviously, not every year we have a pandemic type situation, but um, we have to really, we, we research and then we reassess and then we reassess and then we reassess. Mm-hmm. And speaking of cocktails versus mocktails and the growth of the non-alcoholic drinks, those are coming back. So now that I agree, I think now that we have some space from the pandemic, I do think um that it has become, I, I myself has, have stopped drinking since the pandemic. So I think that there is a big trend towards just a generally healthy, healthier lifestyle, which we love to see because we know that includes gardening. Mm-hmm. Aside from the pandemic, you know, throwing a crazy wild card in there, have there been any past trends that you predicted that just kind of fizzled out that you recall? Ooh, man. The one question I love is which trends we missed, but trends that fizzled out. I cannot, I mean, I am sure, I am not saying this because no, all of our trends are right. Um, I cannot think of things that kind of popped. This year, in 2024, we were going to put, um, you know, your fabulous uh, information about anti-lawns, or that's not the right word. Um, reducing. Yeah, reducing lawns. Yeah. Um, but it was so much more 2023, like it was such a big story this year. Mm-hmm. This year, it, I think I saw it um, across multiple channels and you just saw it everywhere. And so I think that not to say that it will, will fizzle out in the years beyond, um, but I think, I mean, your book came out when? Uh, February of this year. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 2023, we missed that one in 22. That one should have been in the 2023 trends. The idea of lawn replacements, ground covers. Um, and so whilst we were researching it, it was going to be a top trend. And then we thought, you know what? It's too much in the moment. We really have to look at what's coming and not what's already here. Mm. Yeah. And if another one comes, pops in your mind, 
Um, we can always circle back to that. But yeah, and I'm hoping that, you know, reducing your lawn keeps building and building over the next few years. And maybe it'll pop in as a trend in a future year. I think so, too. And Kathy's great book is called Ground Cover Revolution. Check it out. Mm, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the plug, Katie. Huh. So um, you said you love the question of what ones you missed. Okay. So what were a few that you totally whiffed on? The biggest one was fairy gardens. I mean, mm. we never saw that coming. And uh, well, or should I say we saw it, but never thought it would get as big as it did uh, or or have the staying power that it did for so many years. I don't want people out there who love fairy gardens to, to think I'm saying it's dead, but there was definitely a period of time where I thought garden, you know, garden centers had entire sections devoted to fairy gardening. Um, and so I think that one, we, we really did not, we didn't see that one coming. Hmm. Yeah. And I still have my little fairy garden and people still give me fairy garden kits. So oh, well. not complaining about that. <laughs> And let's turn now to some of those 2024 things we can look forward to. And pulling up your report, um, you have eight major trends, correct? Well, we have an, every year we have an overarching theme. Mm -hmm. And this year we have a theme plus seven trends. So okay. eight, but seven trends. And let's talk about that overarching theme. Sure. So that one is written, I don't know about you when you write books, I've never written a book, but I hear your title kind of is one of the last things that you create. You know what the general idea is going to be, but really what is that title? People often tell me they come up with that last. Mm -hmm. um, our trends report theme is similar in that we want to figure out what all the trends are and then what are what is that common thread that ties them all together? And so this year, eco-optimism is our common thread. And in fact, it was a trend. And it, within that trend, it actually started out as the lawn replacement trend and it evolved. Okay, well, if people are currently replacing their lawns, what does that look like? And we kept pushing it out further and further until we um, really discovered that today's particularly young people, but lots of people experience something called eco-anxiety. And because of that, they are often paralyzed by not doing a thing. So instead of going out there and planting for, you know, replacing their lawn or planting for pollinators, changing to 70% of their gardens to be native plants, they're just not doing anything because they are so afraid. And these young people feel like they've been kind of handed a raw deal by us older people. You know, we have just continued to consume and emit and all of the things without without really making big changes. And so in fact, the stat in the report says that 67% of Americans ages 18 to 23 experience this eco-anxiety. And hmm. they feel like, you know, with every next USDA report or with every next turn, there's going to be another hurricane or, you know, flood or, or or anything that at this Thanksgiving I was talking with my family who has a house in Naples, Florida, and they were talking about how Naples is still recovering from Hurricane Ian. So, you know, it's just, it's these disasters that are inflicting us and we don't know when they're going to come. Hmm. So the point of that is not to be incredibly depressing, but to encourage the industry because our report is read mostly by industry, definitely by consumers too, by general gardeners, but mostly within the industry. And the point of that is to say, guess what? There is positive news out there. You know, we start off the report by saying some really depressing stats, but then the next slide talks about how people actually 68% of people want 
to make a change. They want to do something positive. They just don't know what. And that um, we broke wind and solar energy use records last year. So both of the facts are true, that there is some negative information and there's also some positive information. And so as an industry, for us to really inspire people to get out there and, you know, dig in the soil, to plant some plants and to make a difference, we want to inspire them with that positive information and share with them how what they are doing is actually making a difference. And I think it's one of our jobs as an industry to help inspire people in that way and make them feel good. Mm -hmm. I also think there's a, you know, large influence of decision paralysis because there's just so much to do. And like you said, there's a helplessness that you feel and you're like, what can one little person do? Uh, that is so true. And there's a uh, two organizations. One is called EcoTalk, and they are exactly trying to combat that. It is a group of people that's creating this community that says, you know, you are just one person, but together now we have 5 million on TikTok or, you know, whatever, this group of people. And they're actually, you know, they're lobbying for change. These are people who are appearing on national news networks, being interviewed about the positive, positive takes on the climate. Um, so I would suggest people take a look at that group. If you're looking for some factual data, you know, where do you find this data? And another organization that I, I know you know, but is Kids Gardening. Um, they are certainly educating on that positive news. Maybe their target audience is a little bit younger, but it certainly is still trying to share um, the good and positive in what we are in, the, in garden education. Mm-hmm. And speaking of younger generation and those that are coming up and just discovering gardening or gardening at their first homes, I think your next trend is about Generation Z. Yes. So we jump right into the trends uh, with our trend called Zoom Out. And the reason it's called that is because as we were doing our research, we discovered that that generation is often referred to as Zoomers which I thought was super cute, a little play on boomers. I, I hadn't heard that before. Mm -hmm. And so um, this generation actually was is the fastest growing demographic who is gardening, according to the National Gardening Association survey. They are not the largest demographic who gardens, right? That's still boomers, but they are the fastest growing. So they entered the category during the pandemic. And whilst, of course, we lost some, they are have the most staying power. So we're really excited about them as a, a hobbyist who's entered the industry and now are coming into their fourth spring as gardeners. So they're not novices really anymore. They've had their fair share of fails. Um, and, and also they have a giant spending power. So they have over 3 billion in spending power. And, um, so besides the fact that they are gardening, really exciting is that the research shows they are buying homes ahead of their millennial and Gen X counterparts. So if you look at the data, and this is from Redfin, in 2020, 30% of Gen Zers owned a house compared to 27% of Gen Xers and 28% of millennials. And Kathy, one of my coworkers is 23 and she just bought her first house. They moved mm -hmm. in, in, you know, early 2024. So it's like trends come true in our own backyard. We're really excited for her. Um, but the great thing about them owning homes is, is, you know, yay, we're excited for them. But you and I both know when you rent, 
you're a little less likely to dig, you know, put a vegetable garden in. You're a little less likely to rip out all of your plants and put in some uh, like better foundation shrubs, right? You're just a little less likely to do these things than you are when you rent. Absolutely. And I was going to say that a lot of people mistake Gen Z for still being millennials. And, you know, millennials, they're they're already up there. <laughs> the, the Gen Z are who are my current interns right now for the for the magazine and the podcast. And I will say I, I'm seeing it in person as well. They are ready to settle down and get on with life. I feel like they're a more ambitious generation than millennials were in Gen, Gen X, my own. Um, and they are ready and they're like jumping off the block. So they're like, I'm going to get my hands in the dirt. I want to garden now. Um, they're not talking about delaying things, um, you know, till they, you know, do some travel or explore or take a bunch of different jobs. They want to get into that career right now. Yep. It's, it's, it's very interesting how different those generations are. Um, and they're also work from home. So more mm -hmm. than any other generation, they've had this experience of what it's like to work from home. So, you know, not only do they want to jump right into the career, but they are valuing what they're, what they're putting in their home. So I know we've been kind of touting from the rooftops as an industry, raise our prices. Um, but it's something that this generation is willing to pay more for an item that they know is sustainable or it has better quality. So we encourage people like share your stories, talk about the time it takes to grow this plant from seed to shelf, you know, really tell this history because I don't know if this generation in particular understands all that goes into the products that we have in our garden center. Mm -hmm. And why a tree, a small caliber tree, maybe like two to three inches thick, um, what might be $300. Like, why is that? You know, you're like, well, still a little thing, um, but all that went into it. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So the next trend, you're going to definitely have to define this term for me, uh, hoardy futurism or hortifuturism. Yeah, we say hoardy futurism. Um, and this trend was taken directly. One of my colleagues, in fact, has a little bit of a fascination with Asian culture, Western markets. And so she really brought this trend to our attention. And it's this um, evolution of pop culture, really, to be fascinated with the science fiction. Hmm. But it's not just science fiction that when, when I say that, many people envision this black and white space or, you know, very cold and gray. And it's what this historian, Tracy Chu, who's a garden scholar and historian that we interviewed for the report, says that that's the type of vision that we have, both for the future and the past, actually. And we know that that's not true. We know the past was bright and bold and in color, and we know that the future will be that way as well. And so when we're looking at these images of the future, actually, not only are they vibrant and bright and bold and neon, but they're including plants. Plants are everywhere. So um, I don't know if you follow Justin Hancock on social media, Kathy, do you? Mm -mm. Well, he is the horticulturist for Costa Farms, mm. and he is um, uh, was on a plant hunting ex excavation um, overseas, and so he posted a couple pictures. In fact, some that were that is it, uh, that are in our trends report from the Singapore airport, which is a uh, immersive rainforest. The airport is this absolutely like biophilic design, height of biophilic design place. Um, if you go to his Instagram, you'll see some of the beautiful ways that 
in particularly in Asia, they're incorporating this design into their um, their everyday spaces like airports. And so we're looking at that. We're looking at Team Lab, which is um, an artist's uh, collective that has an exhibit in Tokyo that where you walk through the exhibit in three feet of water, barefoot, and there's 10,000 orchids hanging from the ceiling. So it's these amazing, absolutely out there types of experiences that people are are having. I have a cousin who went to Tokyo this summer and said that that was by far she and her family's most favorite part of their trip. And I was like, wait, you walked through water barefoot with like thousands of other people and that was your favorite part of your trip? <laughs> um, but I think it's because it is so fantastical, mm-hmm. but also because it involves plants. And you and I both know about the the calming nature of plants, what plants do for us. And I think to be seen in these massive spaces, which otherwise could be very overwhelming, it helps really flip that experience for people. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at horticulturism, we're really looking at the way that um, pop culture and the future are involving plants. And one of our favorite examples of that was, in fact, the Philadelphia Flower Show this year, um, the Garden Electric exhibit. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that incredible when you mm-hmm. walk in that front entrance? Um, it was floor to ceiling plants interspersed with neon lighting. And it was unlike anything you'd ever seen before, but it just worked. And so that's the trend we're seeing here. Now, how can people do that at home? You know, it's by choosing interesting, fascinating plants. We love the Sterling Moon begonia from Southern Living. We love creating like, you know, these survivalist gardens with some um, carnivorous plants. Any way you want to put kind of those glowing orbs or have you seen the glowing containers that light up at night? So any different kinds of ways that people can incorporate these into their own gardens will just give your garden that tiny little twist of modernity and keep just make it a little more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen those like lucite containers and LED lights and changing lights. Those are big. And when you say horticulturism, I'm thinking like Avatar, the world of Avatar and that kind of immersion in plants. And you're even seeing it like in rock stars, like Beyonce and Taylor Swift in their sets and things. They're just like basically green walls are surrounded by thousands and thousands of flowers, um, you know, around them, just immersed in the plant world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, this year in particular, we're seeing more public gardens, almost not just not abandon the traditional light displays, but um, across Instagram, the Chicago Botanic Garden, I'm seeing them do it. Of course, at Longwood, I'm seeing more neon lights, less traditional light displays. So it's been really interesting to watch this evolution, you know, not just in our own backyard spaces, but and, and these big you know, artist exhibits, but in our own public gardens and to see how they are modernizing the way that they're showing off plants and spaces to people as well. Mm-hmm. It's true. A lot of the winter lights exhibits that I'm seeing at local public gardens are using um, some of the almost not natural yeah. end of the LED light spectrum because, you know, you can't use those traditional hot um, bulbs anymore. They just suck energy <laughs> and electricity. Um, but then when you use the LEDs, you get to have some cool purples and peaches and, you know, those really funky greens. Um, so you get really wide spectrum with those. 
And I just love to see it. It looks so different and so fresh. Mm-hmm. Well, your next trend is one that I'm super familiar with and, and one that's a favorite of mine. Um, that's delight in the dark and especially goth gardening. And that's something we've covered um, on the podcast a few times. And I'm big into those dark leaf plants and, and dark flowers. And you're not alone. I would say it's been one of the top reported elements from our trends report this year, besides the color, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. Um, but I think this goth garden trend has taken really taken off. And as you said, it's not new, but I think what for what we're seeing a mix here uh, is the obsession with just all things goth on the internet. So you saw Aaron Rodgers do that darkness retreat last year. You're seeing these hashtags like goth gardening, Victorian garden, steampunk growing in popularity. Um, and then just on TikTok, you're seeing just this obsession with kind of the skulls and the darkness. And then this summer at Cultivate, there were a, a huge number of plants released that had dark foliage that hadn't had that before. So we're really excited to see these kinds of new, um, you know, I think it gives a little bit more mystery to the garden, right? So we're looking at not just our traditional flowers that have some of the dark, dark colored flowers or the dark colored hues of leaves, but really just the whole package. And um, it's fun. It's really fun. And I think also the way that we can curate different kinds of cracked pottery in our gardens, um, not maybe literal skeletons, but the way that we can leave our gardens a little untidy. I think that that trend has has come and it's here to stay. The idea of just not well manicured gardens. I think that fits well into the goth garden trend as well. Mm-hmm. I like that Miss Havisham type look or gray gardens where it's kind of looks slightly abandoned um, and unkept. And then there's mystery behind that of like, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we just also interviewed somebody for, about night gardening um, and gardening into the evening. So that kind of crosses into goth gardening as well, which is, you know, where you want to pick white blooming plants because they're more visible at night, but you're enjoying your garden into the evening. Yes. And interestingly, that shows up still um, when we were talking about Horty Futures. I mean, people are still interested in that. So it's something that I think as a, you know, people who garden a lot like you and I, we think, oh, moon gardens, it's something that's kind of ancient. It's been since the beginning of time. But I think our trends report last year said that Google Trends predicts that term isn't going to peak until 2025 or something like that. So, you know, as a society, I think we're very into that idea of not just starlight gardens or plant, you know, the night sky petunias, but the idea of being able to maximize that space. And so how can we maximize our outdoor space so we can use it as, as often as much as we can? Mm-hmm. And do you have any favorite um, dark blooming or dark hued plants that you like to use? So I, some of my favorites, um, we've got the, I love the Black Prince Snapdragon. Um, I love the black peony poppy. Do you know that one? Mm-hmm. That one I have not been able to grow. I don't have much success with poppies, but it's gorgeous. Yes. Um, I do love the uh, black, you know, we work a lot with flower bulbs, which as you know, uh, we love our bulbs and we grow them a lot. And I think even though tulips are a dear magnet every year, I grow the black tulips. It's something that I'm really 
my husband loves tulips. They're his favorite flower. So even, even though we have to replant them often, we have a lot of them up close to our house. So I love the black tulips as well. Mm. Yeah. I don't know anybody who doesn't love queen of night, that black tulip, that is just, you know, a classic and one you could combine with any other color tulip. It's not like you have to have a a solid bed of black tulips or something. <laughs> and then there's some plants that have the new growth. Um, I don't, do you know the red sky ilex from Southern mm-hmm. Living? It is the, you know, the, the growth turns green after a while, but the new growth is a really, really deep, dark burgundy. So there are some plants, I think in this case that you can really stretch the limits on a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing some like black foliage hydrangeas yep. and some others that are just you know, out of this spot, out of the world, you just craziness. Yeah, we love them. And so our next trend, bugging out. So I know a lot of people, you know, are squeamish about insects, but, you know, following this, I guess, on the pollinator trend. Yes. Why are they so squeamish? Uh, <laughs> something that I feel like we lose from our childhood. I mean, I have two little kids and all of their friends and every time any kind of animal comes out, they just want to touch it and feel it and hold it. And it's funny. When do we lose that Hmm. fascination? Um, So our trend bugging out, you know, every year, like I said, we've been doing this. Well, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this was our 23rd report. We've been doing trends. We've been forecasting trends for 23 years. And um, so you can imagine we've, we've reported a lot. That's seven to 10 trends a year. And we first started talking about native plants back when the American Beauties brand came out in the early or mid 2000s, 2007, 8, 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can't really talk about pollinators every year, although we want to. So we try to find ways that are fresh and new that people are now using pollinators or into native plants. And when we started to see um, more decor pop up, more, you know, wallpaper that had bugs on it, rugs, mugs. And then I saw a children's bedroom that was all bug theme. I thought, okay, this is a design trend that is taking the, you know, the interior world by storm. Is this perhaps because we are, have such a growing intrigue and awareness of our outdoor insects that we are now not squeamish anymore about seeing them on our morning coffee cup. You know, we're really into it. And so I think, again, the National Gardening Survey saw this year a 10% increase or saw a 10% increase year over year in people wanting to plant for the birds, the butterflies, the bees. And they, they were, since they've been asking that question, 2019, the number of people purchasing native plants has almost doubled. So yes, we know that is happening outside. And so we're excited to see how it's transitioning inside. The big change that we see, Kathy, from, you know, the Honey Nut Cheerios cartoon bee to what people are using now is that it's much more realistic. Mm-hmm. So people are super into exactly how the, you know, the uh, intricate anatomy of these bugs looks. And it's not just bees and monarchs, you know, it's now moths and beetles. And all different kinds of bugs are also being represented in the decor. So we love to see not just, you know, that they're popping up indoors, but they are more realistic. So we hope that this continues, this cycle continues, that you put more of them indoors, you want to attract more of them outdoors, and it keeps kind of swinging back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brother owns uh, Antique Prints with his wife, um, and they sell a ton of bug prints, of course, the mm-hmm. antique ones where it's like, 
a close-up sketch of a beetle or a dragonfly or a butterfly, and it might have the plant that they're um, associated with also on the sketch um, on those prints. But those have always been popular. But I see what you're saying, especially about using it in interior design and in jewelry and scarves. Um, I see ladybugs everywhere, dragonflies, um, of course, little honeybees on everything. Yes. Yeah, we still love to see the honeybees on it. And I love that you brought up that, um, it, although it didn't have a place in our report when we were researching this trend, we just kept seeing that vintage aspect. I guess the bugs, uh, insect jewelry art was really popular in the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. That was something that we, we uncovered during our research, which is fascinating. I would love to read a book on that. Yeah, I think it was definitely something the Victorians were examining or, you know, they would uh, capture, say, a beetle and then do it in watercolor or as they were traveling, especially when people were bringing black back plants, the explorers, they're going to bring back some bugs <laughs> and those are going to be really exotic and cool as well. Hmm. So our next trend is... Um, Going into vertical gardening, I think, is called hanging in there. Exactly. So, you know, kind of similar as what I mentioned about pollinators. We've talked about container gardening over and over and over again. But one, when we were looking at that National Gardening Survey, one of the interesting stats that jumped out to us was that 600,000 more people engaged in container gardening than the year prior which is a 200% increase. And that made our jaws drop because the NGA report has been around for decades. Why such the jump now? Wow. Then it, it noted in particular that it was people ages 45 to 54 that had the largest spending, the increase in spending. So we're looking at our Gen Xers here and we're looking to see why would they be the largest spenders? Now, there's lots of different reasons we could extrapolate, but our number one that we came back to was these people probably haven't moved lately. Maybe some of their kids are still at home or in college, so they're not downsizing yet, Um, but they're not in a new home. They're probably pretty established. So their gardens are not changing that much. They're not adding maybe new beds. They're not putting a ton of new plants in. They're pretty much staying stagnant. But the ways that they can add, they can express their creativity, that they can, you know, really connect with nature is by growing in containers. And so that's the reason we came up with, who knows, I'm sure you and others can have plenty more. And so we thought, well, if they are limited and, you know, another um, stat that this is coupled with is that people are living in smaller spaces. By 2050, the UN projects 89% of people are going to be living in more urban areas. And so not only do we does this particular Gen X generation have all the plants in the garden that they need, but we have smaller spaces in which to garden. So what we think is going to happen is we're going to start to use more of our vertical space. So when we see more container gardens, we're going to see them either hanging from the ceiling, being a much more elevated, so a container on the ground that grows taller, or even a newer trend that we're seeing is these pots or these planters that can connect to your railing. So like new, totally new innovations in railing planters. One of them is called Railscapes. Um, This small company out of Pittsburgh that just blew our mind with the way that you're able to maximize your space. I had some here in um, in my house in this area that, you know, it's just a concrete jungle. I could really never grow anything there. 
And now I could pop these railscapes on the planter on the outside of this railing where it gets a little more sun than on the inside. And now I'm creating privacy. So you know, where the neighbors are, they can't see that area. I'm also hiding that kind of concrete, ugly area and I'm adding beauty. So that's the, that's the benefit of, you know, what container gardens can do in general, but what more that these types of hanging or vertical gardens can also do. So we, we think we're going to see more of these. Um, and not just because, you know, when a plant grows in its natural habitat allows to drape, You'll probably have more success with it, less, you know, diseases, mm-hmm. um, but also because it's proven that on social media, when you're sharing a picture that's a vertical picture, it's going to perform better than a horizontal picture. It's just more space, more eyeballs on it, two scrolls to get by it rather than one. And so the more vertical types of planters and pictures that we have, the better they'll do all around in real life engagement and online. Interesting. And I feel like it, if a plant is elevated to eye height, there's a lot more interaction with it as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And then you'll enjoy it more. You know, you can grow vegetables in this way. You can grow herbs. You can grow flowers. There's so many cool things. Bushel and Berry has new blueberries coming out that are hanging basket blueberries. So there's just a lot of new innovations that um, that companies are also reacting to. They understand and they see how people's needs are changing. And so they're breeding their plants in different ways, which is neat to see. Mm-hmm. And that's what Terry Spate and I wrote about in the urban garden last year is more containers, more vertical, getting it off the ground also keeps it away from pests. You know, those pesky deer, because <laughs> I would like to have some of those blueberries myself um, and the bunnies and everything else. So it, it gets it kind of out of that rodent range as well. Yep. You're right. Spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture of the railscapes, and I think it's a great solution for people who have condo balconies, apartment balconies, um, anything with those struts on it. I could even see that in my gazebo or anybody with a porch um, putting those on because that's always been a problem of kind of precariousness of some of those containers. You don't want to like uh, have that fall off and hit somebody below. (laughs) And they work indoors too, depending on what your railing is like. So I've seen some pictures of hers that are great for houseplants too. Pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Very versatile. All right. So our next trend, nature calls. And I feel like all of this is nature. (laughs) Well, this was the last trend added to the docket. So we had six and we were looking back through the Chelsea Flower Show and um, thinking about what we're missing. And one of the big things that we think we're missing was this idea about community. So we all know that what we, what we gained from the pandemic is being, being in that gardening space. And one of the big reasons people gardened, well, is because they had the time, right? But, um, and they've created this community, particularly in the DC area, you saw community gardens just explode. Um, and so we looked at the Chelsea Flower Show which we use as as one of the beacons, you know, what is coming out of the Chelsea Flower Show to see what kinds of trends we're going to be talking about for the following year. And this year, besides dead wood, so back to the pollinator trend, there were like fallen logs everywhere in these high design gardens, which was fascinating. They also talked about communities and how people were getting together to make change. And of course, we see that at the Philadelphia Flower Show too. They always have, you know, a kind of a community garden section. And so when we really see this, uh, we already talked about that 
um, gray gardens, this rebellion against the tidy gardens, the non-native, the heavy input. You see people wanting to make positive change, um, and particularly going back to our eco-optimism overarching trend. We this this trend really leans into that. So we started to research community, and then that took us down the rabbit hole of tree ordinances. And this was a big aha moment that um, in uh, as we're starting to get more urban, right? Mm-hmm. More and more people are living in cities. What does that mean? Well, it means fewer trees because, you know, I have a friend who has a joke. Um, she does, likes to do a little bit of stand-up comedy and she jokes about neighborhoods named the preserve. <laughs> she does this bit. Why is every neighborhood in the suburbs called the preserve? What exactly are you preserving? And it just makes me, makes me chuckle because it's so true. Um, but we started to look into these tree ordinances. And across the country, we have very outdated protection and laws to protect the trees in our areas. And so about 2019-20, you start to see uh, cities want to make changes. They wanted to say, all right, what are we going to do? Uh, Seattle, the Emerald City, their law was last updated in 1999. It protected 17,000 trees. The new ordinance, which is on the docket for 24, will protect over 88,000 trees. But but cities across the country are putting these ordinances in place. And we're really excited to see it because you, I know, saw the new USDA zone changes. Uh And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? We know that now things are going to change Every 10 years, let's say, there'll be an update to that. And so while our annuals and our perennials, we can catch those up, we can make changes pretty quickly, we cannot change our trees that quickly. And some of the trees that are, even our state trees, will not be able to survive in that state in the next 25, 50 years. So it's really important that we educate people about what the right trees are, especially as cities are starting to look really heavily into their canopies and provide free trees for people, you know, really invest in their communities. Um, And we, of course, work closely with Davy Tree, who uses great technology to do this and very passionate about trees, but really helping people understand how they can plant the right tree for their community, for their own yard to survive and withstand and provide those benefits back to the community for the next hundred years. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're so uh, fortunate in the Mid-Atlantic and the East Coast in general that we have these great tree groups like Casey Trees in D.C. and Pennsylvania Hort Society doing great tree plantings throughout the city of Philadelphia and elsewhere that are really filling that in. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. And so we're coming up on almost the end of the report, and I am blinded by the color of the year. I know. and. and you know, listen, we have talked a lot about all kinds of things today, goth and darkness. Um, but really this trend, this color, we think really embodies the idea of horty futurism, but mm-hmm. also nature. And that mm-hmm. color is called cyber lime. And if you were to take a yellow highlighter, that would be the color that we are <laughs> almost looking at. It is bright, 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 uh, almost yellow, but we call it lime. Um, and for us, it was a happy, joyful color, which is what we feel like 2024 will bring is vivid, 
powerful color. But again, it's that connection to nature. It's the symbiosis between nature and technology that we feel like this color is really going to be the one that takes off in the future. Um, But plus, Kathy, because we love this color in the garden, um, you know, when we choose our colors, we're not always just choosing it because we think it'll be the color of the year to match Mm -hmm. what Antone says, you know, but we want it to also be relevant to the garden industry. We want it to be something that the industry can latch onto um, and, and really run away with. So in this case, we love flowers and, you know, lots of our hydrangeas start out that lime green, but, um, bloomables has wedding gown. We've got some really fun echinaceas that are lime green, then maybe turn pink. So flowers are one thing, but for me, the real superstar here is the foliage, Mm -hmm. you know, this color in the shade, the lime brightens up a dark corner We had a journalist ask us the other day for a story on um, landscape lighting. And I had to say to her, well, can, can, does it have to be actual lights or can it be plants too? Back to your story about moon gardens, you know, Um, it's really fun. She said, no, I just want lighting. I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And I would say, especially in houseplants, I'm seeing that more instead of variegated, like green and white leaves, they're really into that lemon lime color. Absolutely. I would say this was the year of pink. So we had our pink princess philodendron, but we think 2024 is really going to shift. People understand I don't have to just have a, you know, a Sansevieria dark green leaf in my house, a peace lily. I can also have color indoors or, you know, variations of green. Um, and Icosta has some new, really cool plants coming out in 24, but my, one of my favorites is the chameleon ZZ because we know ZZs are so easy. And this one is just almost white. They're they're just such a bright green new leaf. So they're really, really neat indoor plants. Um, old and new pothos, of course, you know, the lemon meringue, one of the easiest plants to care for on the planet. Plus, you get some really trendy colors. So we love this color because not only does it have, you know, uh, nature, technology component, it works outdoors, it works indoors, and it's just fun. I mean, it is lively. I bought a dress in this color and I get so many compliments. It really, it, I mean, it's a head-turning color, I must say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit and trending for next year. and um, what you're already seeing for 2025, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, there are a few things that, that who knows whether they make it to the um, showroom floor. I'm just looking in my inbox now. So um, we have people dealing. Okay. So one of the things, of course, we've already talked about is um, edible gardening, but what are people growing. And what we're hearing from a couple garden centers, so we have to do a little bit more research on this, is that herbs are outselling bedding plants. So people are going crazy for herbs. And mm-hmm. what, maybe you you said it in the beginning of this is people are starting to get more sober curious again. So is is that something that we're toying with the idea here of people growing herbs to use not just in their cooking, not just for your ground covers, you know, what an amazing, what herbs make such amazing ground covers, but in their mocktails as well. So who knows, maybe herbs. Hmm. Yeah. And I could also see it because you want fresh if you're cooking at home, so much easier just to go out and snip it from the garden, so much less expensive, you know, 
a rosemary, I don't know, what, two fifty for a tiny little packet from Whole Foods of rosemary. And you're like, there's a whole plant. <laughs> You'll always have more to share. No. Um, okay. One other one that I love is mixed houseplant containers. So I think so often we see just, you know, you buy one houseplant, but really think about outside. Do we ever, we rarely ever do one plant outdoors. So why do we do that indoors? So we think it might be something that people will be doing more. They'll be experimenting more with doing more mixed containers. Um, and, you know, obviously they have to have the same similar likes, but big giant mixed container. So we're excited about that. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of that outside of terrarium, say, but I would love to see mixed containers done just the way they are, um, like when you're mixing your annuals and perennials for oh. your summer containers. Yeah, it follows the same rules, right? We need a spiller, thriller and filler, but indoors. Hmm. Um, and then the last one we're toying with, and I don't know if this is a trend, but uh, National Wildlife Federation, I don't know if you saw that they are trying to reach 300,000 certified wildlife habitats by the end of this year. Um, and what I think with the success that Doug Tallamy has had with his homegrown national park, um, I wonder if more people will, this, you know, is our pollinator trend, but more people are going to be looking into getting those certifications, homeowners getting those certifications. You know, I think avid gardeners have long known about them, but I think, um, as more people grow meadows and they need to communicate to their neighbors, this is not just an unkempt yard. This is an habitat. So I wonder, we, we were, we're going to be exploring whether people are going to be looking more into those types of certifications. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be very curious to hear um, the, the statistics and numbers because I, I know I have several certifications and I know others do. But of course, you like you said, we're talking about the diehard gardeners. Um, but yeah, if an average homeowner decides I need to have that type of sign in my yard, I'll be very interested. We're, we're looking more into those. So those are the three that may or may not show up in 2025. Stay tuned for our interview next year. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And then how can our listeners contact you or get a copy of the trends report or find out more? So our trends, actually, all 23 years of them are on our website. You can find them at gardenmediagroup.com backslash trends. Um, and then you can also, if you have any questions, we our email address is trends at gardenmediagroup.com. So that is, you know, goes to a general folder that lots of us can answer the question. Um, we'd love to know what you think about the current trends, but also what you're seeing for next year, too. Excellent, Katie. Well, thank you so much. We're going over the 2024 trends coming up, giving us a little glimpse into 2025. And any final thoughts for our listeners as we go into the new year? Oh, well, I think it's important to just mention that for us, trends are just fun. You know, it is something that is not the Bible. We don't expect you to go out and paint your whole house cyber lime. Um, but that it is something fun to follow. And while we don't take ourselves too seriously, I would definitely like to know how much now that you've heard these, my guess would be next time you go in Target, you'll say, oh my God, look at all that cyber lime. Um, <laughs> so it's just something that as you start to hear trends, you start to identify your own trend. And so I think we can all, all be our own trend spotters and start to connect those dots to see what we're seeing out there. Um, and so let me know. Let us know what you're seeing. 
Thank you, Katie. Thanks, Kathy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Collard greens, plant profile. Collards, Brassica ulraceae, are an edible green that is a cultivated variation of the European wild cabbage. Collards are one of many members of the cabbage family, Brassicaceae or Cruciferae, also known as the crucifers or the mustard family, which includes broccoli, cauliflower, mustard, turnips, kale, and Swiss chard. Collards can thrive in the heat, but also withstand temperatures down to 10 degrees Fahrenheit. For best flavor, harvest collards after several frosts. Collards can be sown in late winter for a summer crop and in midsummer for a fall crop. In the spring, plant it as soon as the ground can be worked. Note that it does not form a head like its cabbage relatives. Collards should be harvested continuously by picking the bottom leaves starting approximately 60 days after seeding. Collards can be eaten fresh, cooked in soups and stews, pickled, sautéed, and fried. Read more about growing and preparing collards in the November 2023 issue of Washington Gardener magazine. Collards, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, I've been pruning off branches on my red twig dogwood to use for holiday decorations. They're coloring up really nicely this year. Over at the community garden plot, I still have a few things under cover cloth that I'm harvesting, including cilantro, arugula, kale, and radishes. This is going to be our last episode for 2023. So I want to thank you all for listening this year and hope that you join me early in the new year, 2024, with our new episodes. In the meantime, over the next few weeks, you can listen to some of your favorite episodes again or listen to some that you might have missed. In the local gardening world, some upcoming events include the 13th annual Tacoma Park Book Fair, I'm going to be there signing and selling my new books, Ground Cover Revolution and the Urban Garden. And that's on Saturday, December 16th from 1 to 4 p.m. at Busboys and Poets Tacoma location in Tacoma, Washington, D.C., just north of the Tacoma Metro Station. It's a great source for unique and holiday gifts. And there is a free talk coming up on January 23rd at 1 p.m. at the Holiday Park Senior Center in Silver Spring, Maryland. And this is on the history of herbal medicines. Dr. Greg Susla is presenting his history, early medicinal gardens around the world, types of medicinal preparations, and his restoration of the Civil War medicinal garden at the Pry House in Frederick, Maryland. And then looking ahead to the Greenscape Symposium, 
Washington Gardener Magazine is proud to be one of the sponsors of that. And that is Friday, February 16th from 9 to 4 p.m. It is a virtual event and the early bird fee for that is $50 if you sign up before January 12th. So do so right away. And you can register for that online at mocoparks.org. Happy gardening! Get low-maintenance alternative to lawns with the new book, Ground Cover Revolution, by Kathy Jets. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in home ownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional, everyday grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape, and now are looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of perfect lawn is knowing how and when to replace your turf and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need. Included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants that are perfect choices for replacing a grass lawn. There are options for sun, for shade, for dry and wet sites, and for various climates around the globe. There are choices that bloom, options that are evergreen, and selections that are deer-resistant. Author Kathy Jens has also included an incredibly useful chart that gives you all the details on each of the 40 choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea of what a beautiful lawn should be. Available at bookstores now and also at Cordo.com, where you can get 30% off using discount code GARDENING30. Hey there, garden lovers. This is Ray Eaton, founder of Discover Garden Tours. I'm here to invite you all to join us next April and experience the beauty of Dutch gardening and horticulture on our Discover the Netherlands tour. Please join us and speaker, author, and social media influencer, Kathy Jentz, for this once-in-a-lifetime garden adventure. We'll visit private and public gardens, flower shows and auctions, and much, much more. Highlights include the Kuchenhof Gardens, Hortus Botanicus Leiden, and the Flora Holland Flower Auction. The tour dates are from April 16th through April 25th, 2024. Full details and registration are available on our website at discoverourtours.com. Remember, space is limited, so if you don't want to miss out, I would highly recommend signing up today. We look forward to seeing you in the Netherlands and sharing this unforgettable journey together. In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden 
turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at Amazon.com or bookshop.org. Hello, I'm Craig McManus from the Garden Question Podcast. Here we are with the final last word for 2023. We're entering the season of joy, hope, peace, love, and crepe murder. If you don't know the victim of crepe murder, it's the annual desecration of crepe myrtle trees around this time of year. For those not familiar with the beautiful crepe myrtle or Lagostromia, they are best known as deciduous flowering small trees in zones 7 and above. It's my understanding more cold-hardy varieties are being developed for those that are in zone 6 and below. This is good-to-know information for you, too. There are lesser-known medium-sized shrubs and ground cover varieties, which are typically not victims of great murder. All are known for a long period of vibrant, abundant clusters of crinkled crepe-like flowers blooming in various shades of red, pink, purple, and white. The tree form is amazingly sculptural with very distinctive, annually evolving, beautiful bark. They're structurally graceful with arching branches, adding aesthetic beauty and a burst of color to gardens and landscapes during the summer months. Crepe murder is a term used to describe the improper and often harmful pruning practices inflicted on crepe myrtle trees. It is an unsustainable practice often seen in neighborhoods and commercial complexes, specifically the severe cutting back of trunks or branches. Some might say it looks like whacking off the main trunk with a chainsaw about head high. A second technique involves cutting the main branches, leaving only stubs. Although crepe murder doesn't actually kill the plant, it may wish it were dead. This aggressive pruning results in a distorted, unnatural, ugly, knobby stick appearance when all the new growth is cut back to the same point every year. Compromising the tree's natural form also diminishes its overall health and flowering potential when repeated every year. I've often seen insects and diseases like ambrosia beetles, aphids, sooty mold, mildew, take advantage of the stressed-out, rapid, dense growth response to crate murder. Proper pruning, respecting the tree's natural structure, is recommended for maintaining the health and beauty of crate myrtle trees. I like to maximize plant blooming times. Where crate murder is practiced, I've seen blooms delayed for a month or more. You have the right to do whatever you want to with your own crate myrtle. And some folks will pass crepe murder off as, it's okay, it's just a pollarding pruning technique like they do in Europe. I would be willing to bet most folks perpetuating crepe murder have never even heard of pollarding, much less know why it's really done. It stresses out the plant and doesn't allow it to grow to its potential. Maximizing beauty and joy, robbing yourself, the audience, and the wild world, the awesomeness of a wonderful plant. Maybe the crepe myrtle, like other plants in your garden, grows too large for the space it's planted in. That's because of a poor design, poor variety selection, or maybe it was labeled wrong in the nursery. 
Unfortunately, many times a plan is selected because it is the cheapest option that can get you in trouble in time. So what do you do to prevent crepe murder? Well, you select the right size plant for the right space from a reliable source. Prune and train up the crepe myrtle in the way it should go. The younger you can start the training, the better. Identify and remove any dead, damaged, or cross-branching. Focus on selectively pruning branches to enhance the tree's natural shape and structure. Removing suckers at the base and water sprouts from the previous cuts helps prevent future branch conflicts. Prune during the dormant season and do not make drastic or excessive large cuts. Make clean lateral branch cuts that will heal over in a few seasons. Preserve the natural shape of the tree by maintaining its characteristic vase or multi-trunk form. Avoid excessive thinning or topping. As the tree matures, you will find you will do less and less pruning to keep the tree's shape and size in check. I have some mature crepe myrtles that I've worked with for years, and I hardly ever touch them now, maybe every five, six years, if at all. I remember a time that you never saw crepe murder in the landscape. Unfortunately, we often see and do what we observe others doing. Please don't mimic others without understanding why you're doing it. It is really a good practice for the health of your garden or landscape. Educating yourself and others about proper pruning practices is crucial in preventing crepe murder. By respecting the natural growth habits of crepe myrtle, and adopting responsible pruning techniques, you can ensure the longevity and vitality of these beautiful trees in your landscape. Be patient. It will typically take four to five growing seasons to recover from crepe murder if pruning practices are changed. Crepe myrtles can often bounce back, producing new growth and returning to a more natural and attractive form. If you're uncertain about the best approach or if the tree's health is a concern, consider consulting with a certified arborist. They can provide expert advice and assistance in promoting the recovery of the tree. I'm Craig McManus from the Garden Question Podcast. With the last final word of 2023, I'm wishing you blessings of joy, hope, peace, love, and happy crepe myrtle for 2024. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash Garden DC. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.blogspot.com. Thank you. You can find and follow Washington Gardener on Twitter, slash X, Instagram, and Pinterest at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook at Washington Gardener Magazine. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Spotify and Apple. Open the Spotify or Apple app, search for Garden DC, check on the rate button, and select five stars.